on location from Las Vegas, the heart of the desert. The poker guys are entrenched in the World Series of Poker. Get ready for some stories from the World Series of Poker. <laughs> from the poker guys. I'm Greg Dennison. That's Jonathan Lovey. Let's go. Let's go. Cool. That was funny. Yeah. I like that opening. Thanks. That was me. That was Grant, by the yeah. way. Um, so the audio might be a little different today because we're in our Airbnb apartment and the air conditioning is staying on because it's 116 degrees outside. Screw you guys if you don't like that the air conditioning is wow. on and you it's can little, hear it. A little strong, but yeah. yeah. The heat um, makes people violent. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's been like this for at least a week. It's been hor- like you can have the air conditioning on. Full blast the entire time in your apartment, and it's still 78 degrees. I mean, that's just it's as low as it gets. It's yeah. crazy. And it is. I'm looking at the temperature right now. It is literally 113 degrees outside. Yeah. That's that's hot. We're going to stay inside while we do this show. I'll tell yeah. you that. Yeah. And the audio might be a little different, too, because it's not our normal setup and all that. So, right. you know, that's why if it's a little different. We're sorry if it's a little echoey. If you can hear the air conditioning in the background, it makes it authentic. But you know what's crazy consistent? Yes. Nitrogen Sports Poker Room. I was going to go with peanut butter, but... Peanut butter is also pretty good, but Nitrogen Sports Poker Room offers great games all the time. Yes. And they always offer lightning fast withdrawals, which is pretty important if you're a poker player. Why would that be important? Because you win some money. Don't you want the money? Yes. Okay. So how long do you want that money? I want it forever. Yeah, but when do you want to get it? ASAP. Right. And that's what Nitrogen offers. It's about 10 to 25 minutes to get your money from Nitrogen. You can wait weeks at other sites. I'd like to call you out on the carpet for saying lightning fast. Lightning's a lot quicker than 10 to 25 minutes. All right. You're right. It was a bit hyperbolic. Nonetheless, Nitrogen is the fastest in the industry. Yeah. It's incredible. Right. It's Bitcoin only. To to pretend like it's anything other than awesome is wrong. So if you use the code in the description of the, or the link, excuse me, in the description of this podcast, when you sign up for Nitrogen, you get access to a lot of cool stuff. Poker Guys exclusive stuff, such as sit and goes that you can play with us they'll be on our twitch stream when we get back from the world series of poker indeed that'll be fun there are free rolls every sunday and nitrogen is always cooking up new stuff that they can offer to our fans and you know um we really like these guys uh having had a a bunch of contact with them now we feel they are straightforward dudes they are you know not looking to scam people as you know from all of our experience right and you know you can't say that about everyone in the online poker world we really trust these guys and like these guys based on everything we know about them so that says something, too. They've got really good customer service. We're, we're fans. Yeah. Use the link. Sign up. Get on there. Play with us. Yeah. It's fun. All right. So as you guys know from the opening, it's not a normal breakdown here. No, we're, no uh, breakdowns. We did a WSOP preview a while ago, and now we're getting... We're, you know, most of the way through our journey here at the World yeah. Series, and we have some stories to tell. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to talk about... Both of us had pretty deep runs. Grant had a deeper run than I did, for sure. Yes. <laughs> Although I outlasted a lot more people than Grant That's, did. But, yeah, accurate. But Grant, so you win. Yeah, Grant made a lot more money than I did on his run than mine. But we both had notable runs, I would say, and uh, did well. Yeah. At least thus far. We got the monster stack still coming up. I, in the Millionaire Maker, where the I... The Millionaire think, Maker. Yes, I like how I say that. Um, where I finished 105th out of, I believe, 7,800 entrants for about $8,000. It's a $1,500 buy-in. And Grant, in just the normal $1,500 weekend event, finished 5th. Yeah. For $91,699, he outlasted, yeah. what, 1,700 people or so? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Final table of the World Series bracelet event. Pretty cool. Pretty darn cool. A lot of our listeners, I assume, know that because Twitter went a little bit nuts right. during that time. But if you if you were you know living under a rock, don't follow the Twitters, et cetera, et yeah. cetera, now you're finding out it was a pretty damn cool run for Grant. Right. So we're going to talk about some hands, different events, not just the events we went deep in, stuff we've done, you know, things, yeah. things we've seen. Foods we've eaten, perhaps? I don't know if we're going to talk about that. I mean, the pizza was good last night. 
we didn't talk about this before the podcast, but I want to start talking about something that um, you and I talked about a lot so far in this trip, and that's kind of the value of having a crew, like a oh, poker crew, yeah. uh, which kind of has really come to the forefront for us recently where, you know, Jonathan and I are each other's poker crew, but we, we're not the only ones in the crew here. We got some other guys that, that are part of this crew that we kind of are deciding to play more poker with, you know, it's, and it's valuable. It's sort of shocking to me, actually, how valuable it is. So we got here, Grant, you got here, I got here a day before you did, right? Yeah. But... um. But another member of our crew is Mitch Towner, who Monster won the Monster Stack, Stack last year. Last yeah. year, yeah. Also finished like 55th this year in the marathon for about 12,000. Yeah. Um, but the Monster Stack win was the big win for 1.1 million, of course. Uh, he's not a professional poker player, but he's one of the smarter people we know. Yeah. And uh, highly successful at everything he does, basically. And so one of the things we got to do is talk a lot of poker with Mitch. And then our other friend, Robert Brewer, who's also final table the WSOP event, right. has had huge success in the Pacific Northwest playing tournaments and things like that as well. And we all sort of, while Grant and I have always been very, you know, we've, as you guys have heard, we always talk poker with each other, right. never hide any information and, you know, to get better. Mitch and Robert play different kinds of poker than we do, especially Absolutely. Robert. And where we all shared the way we thought about poker and talked about it and really got into it, and I feel it's already made me a significantly better player. I agree. I agree. I think, like, if you're out there and you're trying to get better at poker, I know it's not easy just to, like, create a crew. But if yeah. something kind of starts forming organically, don't shy away from it because I think that's the best way to, to get better at poker. Of course, coaching is always valuable. Of course. Stuff like that is always valuable. But I think what really got me into poker initially was I was college roommates with both of those guys. And they were better at poker than me at the time. And they taught me everything. And and we bounce ideas off each other. It's really important. And that's why you see like gaggles of elite players walking together around the, the halls of the Rio. Cause yeah. they're all talking hands and figuring out strategies. I mean, Galfon and Duan were like a crew and yeah, that, look at them. I mean, now here's the one thing is your crew has to have good players in it or smart people or people who are really willing to well, learn. Sure. Like, sure. We happen to be, we were already Grant and I were already successful professional poker players um, before we met. And obviously we, we articulate well to each other. Mitch is this super, super smart guy who wrote his thesis. He wrote or? his undergraduate thesis on optimal no limit hold'em heads up play. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and our friend Robert plays completely different than we do. Yeah. Um, but has been highly successful. He had always been a little reluctant to share sort of his thought process. Even when we play like tiny home games, just right. messing around, he'd never show his hands. He's a jerk. He never wanted to give away <laughs> any information. Yeah. And so it actually held him and us back, I think, because he. Like when we were talking uh, about certain hands and I sort of was articulating ways that I think it, you should play against really good players and what it means when they take certain actions, Robert was like, wow, and really thought that was interesting. But then when I hear his thought process and so many things, it kind of blows me away in good ways. You yeah. know? So like well, there's so much we can add to each other. So you got to have not just – so it isn't just people who play poker. It's got to be people who play poker who at least are striving to get better. Right. And it helps if, you, if they're people who think differently. Like Jonathan and I think slightly differently, but, but we're the most similar among the crew. No doubt. For sure. And so it's not as helpful as hearing the opinions of people who – are really smart and trying to play optimally, but finding different ways to do it. Right. I mean, when like something I haven't done very much in my life is five bet light. I've done it, but very, very rarely in my life in a tournament setting, you know? Right. But, like we have a friend, one of our crew members absolutely is five bet, five bet light, like a kajillion times and thinks it's just a normal part of strategy. It's just yeah. a thing you do. And so that's fascinating to hear him talk about why he does it and when he does it and how it works and also sort of the real downsides to it as well as the other. Sure, of course, there's obvious downsides <laughs> to that. <laughs> but it isn't like even someone as accomplished as him. This is our friend Robert. Um, 
you know, it isn't like he pulls it off successfully a lot. He says, well, yeah, it's really high variance. And a lot of times I knock myself out of tournaments doing right. this, you know? So that's, it's just kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, but he happens to be like the first or second most successful player in the Pacific Northwest Chinook wins series, which is like a series that's been going on for five years. He always crushes it. He just, yeah. Knows, like, I mean, it's weird actually yeah. how well he's done in that series. But right. anyway, enough about that crew. I agree. Really, really important. Cause you also just, like you sort of live and breathe poker. And so now, so because this trip went the way it did, we also had a very successful trip as a group, clearly. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about taking other, like, let's go for a week to some, you know, some event, some series of events and play them all. And we'll like live together and talk, talk about poker every day right. all the time and get even better. And it's a really exciting thing to think about. Yeah. It's cool. So, so anyway. I agree with you, Grant. Highly, highly suggest trying to figure something out like that. Yeah. yeah. Although it's not so easy, obviously. No man is an island. Right. That's what I've always said. That's what you're really, that's the subtext of this whole show. Right. So let's get to some, uh, some World Series stories. Huh? All right. Let's do yeah. it. So we've met a lot of cool players, you know, so far. We've, yeah. Like a lot of the pros know who we are and, and we talk to them and like mostly we've gotten confirmation about the hands that they've been in that we've done breakdowns on that we're like mostly right. And that's pretty fun. Yeah. And just so. to give you guys a sense of what Grant says, pros, like we talked to Charlie Carroll, we talked to Apeshka De Silva, we've talked to Yevgeny Timoshenko. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's many, many more, actually, but those are the ones that come off the head where we actually talked about to them about the hands right. that we did. Yeah. And they actually... I know Pesh said we did great. Yeah. He said we hit almost everything. Evgeny, the same thing. Right. And those two hands, respectively, the one with Pesh was called... What was that one called? Uh, um, uh, I don't know. It's, but like, any, it's like, can I, can I beat anything or something? Oh, like yeah. That. Yes. Everything got there. That's everything got called. there. That's right. It's, it was against Fedor. So tough spot for Pesh where essentially he made a call just because it was Fedor. And well, well, but he actually did tell you this, which is cool. And it's not something I think we could get from the video. Right. Just to give you guys a little more insight. He said, uh, one of the reasons why he called is because Fader bet instantly on the river. And he didn't think Fader would do that with most of his range, most That's of his cool. strong range. And also Fader was just staring at him the whole time, which I guess he had seen Fader not doing. Right. And so he thought it was more likely to be a bluff. And then he thought there were very few hands in Fader's range that, uh, Fader would play like this and then do these actions with that were actually beating his top, top. And, uh, and although he said, I couldn't think of any bluffs, it's Fader, so he can have some. Yeah. And that was true. That was cool. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as far as Evgeny is concerned, his hand was called Ha, I Called You. He yeah. was playing against a maniac named Vimi Ha, where he played top pair very unorthodoxly, very, very high variance. Yeah. That's a cool. You should just watch that hand. That's an awesome. So hand. good. Yeah. Anyway, he mostly said we, we mostly got it right. Um, what he, the only thing, one, yeah, he just said, um, the thing you guys couldn't know is that he was just like doing crazy stuff all day. Like he was clicking, clicking back things, raising, check raising, all this stuff constantly. And so it just, I think it just was that uh, Evgeny just thought like he, none of these actions mean anything. Like this right. guy doesn't have to have anything at all here. That's like a big deal. So right. that was, that was a big part of it anyway. For him. Yeah. That was super cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. So um, I guess I can segue to a story here. I want to talk about Pesh, Upeshka da Silva, yeah. who's very successful. He has two bracelets. He won one this year, one last year, and obviously had a deep main event run that was televised. Super nice guy, too. Very, very nice kid. Really cool. Um, so I was at his table the first day of the event that I final tabled. And playing with him was interesting because he was doing stuff a little differently than, you know, the standard autopilot good player. Mm -hmm. And in specific, he was doing a lot of limping which was really weird to me. He would even limp with the short stack sometimes. And obviously when you see that happen and you don't know anything about a player, my initial thought would always be like, that's a bad player, right? That's, that's a person who's messing up. Yeah. And, but Pesh, I think over the course of three or four hours, limped at least eight times. And one time he showed up with kings. One time he showed up with aces. 
What and he was hyper balanced because one time he limped under the gun, three bet somebody who raised his under the gun limp and went bet check shove for a pot size huge bet and he had seven high he had seven four of diamonds. I assume opponent, he, did he flop a, a draw of any no kind? he had nothing he had air he had complete air oh, his that's... opponent turned a set of kings so they called yeah and he lost that hand but yeah. that that illustrated his hyper balance because before that he had already limped kings and aces and had showdowns with them yeah so that was pretty interesting to see that he was doing that and that made me start thinking about first of all what is the benefit of this second of all. How do I combat it if good players are going to start doing some sort of exploitive limping? Yeah. Right? Like, how am I going to go against that? Because it's not just Pesh. I saw other good players doing it. I saw a really good player in the marathon do it who I don't know his name, but he was clearly a very good player. He's limping with a short stack a lot. Uh, then I was on the direct right of Nacho Barbero for all of day two of the event, which was awful because he had a huge stack and he's very active, but he would limp a lot. Hmm. He limped mostly in early position, actually, like a lot of limping. It's weird. So, I, it's a new thing that the top guys are doing, and I think we need to figure it out. I mean, I'll say this. So I played three days of the Millionaire Maker, and I didn't last – like, Grant played a lot more on day three than I did for his event, right? I played an hour of day three before I busted. Um, but I still got – I mean, there's a lot of poker against top players, right. you know, and a lot of, like, very famous people uh, played at my table with me too. Joe, Joe Cata is one of many examples. And uh, nobody limped. There were none of the good players ever limped at any point. So it's interesting that huh. you saw it, and I didn't. I guess it's – a Fairly new strategy. I actually, yeah. I actually, when I talked to Pesh, it was when you were at the final table, Grant. Um, they were railing uh, Calvin Anderson's girlfriend, who was also at the final table. And, uh, and he came up and introduced himself to me. Super nice kid, like we were saying. But I told him that like, we were already working on you know, strategies yeah. to, like, to like, combat that. And he just thought that was hysterical. Yeah. I think maybe because it's so new. You yeah. know? It's like, how could someone be you know, fighting this already? Like, but like, we're already, we already started talking about it. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, you got any fun stories from the Millionaire Maker? Let's go there. Uh, the only really f- okay, I got one fun story which does not involve me, and besides that, I just have like hands I play. Yeah, kind sure. Of thing. But um, I would say the the most interesting story probably is it was day one. We're about halfway through day one. There's a guy three to my left who is European of some sort. I think he's English, uh, and he's playing way too many hands and betting way too big and doing all sorts of weird stuff. Right. Anyway. He limps as he did a lot. He just, I mean, he was doing things like limping with 7-6 off in early position and just things like that. Okay, so not good limping. I don't think Pesh was doing that. Yeah. Uh, He didn't, I don't think Pesh was ever showing up with 7-6 off. Right. So our guy limps. The big blind who's very active and raises all the time and was raising limpers left and right raises. Our guy thinks for a while and calls. And he calls like, you know, 20 some odd percent of his stack off here. With 7-6 off? No, no, no. He didn't have 7-6 off this time. We don't know what he has yet. Okay. The flop is... Nine high and not not in any way connected. It's a rainbow board. It's like nine four three rainbow. The big blind just moves all in, which and has and has our guy covered, our Englishman covered by a lot. And the Englishman goes into the tank. So you know, like two minutes pass, and I've seen this guy play enough that as I'm starting to try and put him on hands, I start to put him on this hand specifically, which doesn't make any sense at all. But I think to myself. For some reason, I think he's got Jack-10 suited with two back doors here, and he's actually considering calling off, which is bizarre. Wouldn't that be a bad idea? It seems impossible that he could really have that. But that's the hand that I've decided he must have because he's so crazy and bad. And like, But it can't really be, obviously. He's going to have to fold that hand. Anyway, thanks for like another three minutes, and finally calls off. He did not have Jack-10 suited. He had Jack-10 offsuit. <laughs> <laughs> so he only had one back door. The other guy just had ace-queen high, so... 
you know, it's not the it's. I mean, it's not good. It's terrible. But at least he had six full outs. You know, yeah. the turn was actually an eight to oh. make him open ended, and it was like, what the heck is going on? Is he going to win? But no, the river was a three, and he was just out, and that was his World Series millionaire maker, fifteen hundred dollars down the tubes, calling off with Jack Ten. It's almost like he's like, I just don't believe this guy has anything, but then forgot that he had Jack High. You can't you, know? you can't bluff when you're calling. It's not a thing you can do. It's a problem. Yeah, yeah. and you can't bluff catch with a terrible non-showdownable hand, right? Nope. Or you have to have a very good reason to. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Dwan, nine high, you know? Yeah. Like, at least he had a reason. I, we think he was bad. it was a bad reason, but at least it was a reason. There's clearly no reason here except he, he's just trying to push me off the hand, which he was. The other guy was because he had ace-queen high. But you have jack high. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So that was wacky. Right. How about a hand or two from that there, Millionaire Maker? Mm, okay. Um, I'd say I played two real to me two sort of favorite hands on actually KB. first tell what was oh, your yeah. what was your result okay so I finished 105th yeah and by the way very close to another money jump it was sad I didn't get it. <laughs> uh, 105th so that's about an hour into day three and on day three they went down to I think something like 18 players they you know they start we started with like 122 I think uh, I busted on a hand where it folded to the small blind I had 15 blinds at this point the small blind moved in as he had done the last time and folded to the small blind too. So I wasn't surprised. I figure he's doing it with a very wide range. I looked at her an ace and almost didn't even look at the other card, but decided, you know, here I am. I might as well at least look. It was a queen. I was, I had ace queen suited. I called. He had nine, six off. He flopped a nine. I turned to flush draw. I was out because I did not hit anything. Wah, wah. How much you make? Uh, $8,064, I believe. Not a bad day. Perfectly good. Yeah. Perfectly good. Uh, the thing that was like tough about it, and this is always true in poker tournaments, I know, is that like real money was coming up. Like if you're in the top fifty in the millionaire maker, I think it's like forty, fifty K, something like that. It's like a lot more than eight thousand dollars. Yeah. So like if I hold there, if my ace queen holds, which it is a pretty big favor to do, it's like seventy percent, uh, I've got a great chance to finish, you know, in the top seventy at least. And also I'll have like thirty seven blinds and I have a great chance to actually do something real in the event. You know, obviously anything can happen and I could be out in the next hand anyway. But you know, like, I manage a 37 blind stack reasonably well, and, you know, I don't just blow up very often. And so, right. like, I have a good chance to progress relatively far. I mean, who knows? 80th, 70th, 50th, First. or all the way to the top, yeah. baby. You know, so, so I was like, it took an hour of sort of being, I was pretty upset for an hour, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I bet. But then I got over, and I'm like, this is just poker. This happens all the time. I actually don't really like his shove, by the way, with nine six off. For no, it's 15 not, blinds feels like it's, it's not too good much. enough. It's not good it's enough. It's like, just fold. It's, all, it's not a big deal. You don't have to steal every time. But yeah. he was that kind of player, you know? Yep. He was going to do that. And that's fine. Did like, he, I got it was in he, great. Was he wearing a flat brim hat? He was not. He was sort of a nerdy looking player, actually. But he was also three betting constantly and doing stuff. You know, he was just going to move me in every time. I think I had less than 20 blinds, no matter what. Which I don't love, actually. Yeah. I think yeah. you should have a little, like, 9-6 off is probably, if it was 9-8 off, I would think maybe that's okay. If it was 9-6 suited, I would think maybe it's okay. 9-6 off feels a little too weak. Yeah, I hear that. I feel um, that. I feel and that. And also, like, he'd already done it once, so, like, I'm going to call a little bit lighter the second time. You sure. Know? Like, like, I saw the ace. I was probably calling with any, with any, rip, yeah. any other card, you know. Um, Maybe an offsuit deuce I'd have to think for a second before I called. You know, like, I guess I just have to go with this. But, like, I'm not a big favorite, but I'm a favorite. And I need to chip up here. Like, let's go. Sure. But ace-queen or any, any kind of, I mean, ace-eight would be, like, an insta-call, obviously. Yeah. You know, and any suited ace, any good king. Honestly, queen-jack is, like, where it starts to get a little bit tough, right? You know? Yeah. I may have to, I'd probably fold queen-jack for 15 blinds. It's close against a player like that, though. Yeah, I know. Really, really close. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, maybe if I'm folding Queen Jack, maybe he can move in profitably there. I know we'd have to look at it. But anyway, I think he can just give that up. But it's fine because I got it in great and had a great chance to have 37 blinds. Anyway, that's what happened. 
Yeah. Any uh, cool hands? So the coolest hand, which I did talk about a little bit on my vlog, but I'm going to get more into it and explain more why I played it the way I did. It was early on day two. We were already in the money because it only took three hands to get in the money. We had to eliminate 22 people, and they were just gone in three hands because so many people were still left. Uh, Alex Foxen, who is the number 107, I think, GPI player, so he's really good. Uh, he opened in middle position, and I defended uh, the big blind with queen 10 off. And I was the effective stack. I had – hold on. I can recreate this pretty well. I had about 28,000, and he raised to – I don't remember exactly, but I think the blinds were like 612. So I think he raised to probably like 2,500. That cannot be right. I had more blinds than that. So – I started the day with like 37 blinds. So let's Really well done. You so know far. what? I wasn't prepared for this. I think they were 5-1. So he probably okay. got like 2,100. Anyway, I call. Uh, the flop is 10 high with three spades. I do not have a spade in my hand. What's your hand again? I forgot. Queen 10. Queen 10. I check, of course, my top pair. Alex continues for a small amount. You know, that's like you know 2.7 or something. I'm obviously calling with top pair here. So I do. That's the end of that. Turn is, a, uh, is another baby card. So it was like... Queen, it was like 10, deuce, four, and now this is like a six. No spade still. I'm obviously going to check fold to any spade. But I check. He bet six and a half thousand. And I'm aware that if I call this, I don't, I'm not forced to call the river, but I'm going to have about 18 and a half left if I call this. And I'm going to be, it's going to be a tough spot if like it bricks out on the river and he moves me in, which I got to believe he's capable of, right? I didn't know who he was, but I could tell he was good already just from playing with him for you know that first half hour or so i could tell he was one of those guys you know so i but i feel like i'm just obligated to call here on the turn because i'm just gonna have a lot of big spades and i'm always gonna call with a big spade in my hand on the flop when it's that cheap right so he's gonna just bet again to move me off my big spades and top pair is like near the top of my range honestly like i have other really good hands but top pair is really good still he can have me beat sure but whatever so i feel like i just have to call and i'm gonna reevaluate on the river so i do the river is a five, bringing a four-card baby straight on, you know, there's like a, a gutter gets filled in there, right? Because it's like two, three, five, six, ten, but not a spade. I check. I'm really hoping he's just going to check it back because if he checks it back, I win a fair amount of the time. Not always, but a fair amount, right? Uh, he does not do that. He moves all in. It moves me all in, effectively, for my life. And I take some time to really think about this because... I know he's capable of bluffing, but he doesn't have to bluff here either, right? Like, I could have a missed spade draw that he could just check back his showdownable winning hand, right? So this is, this is in some ways maybe a just-in-case. Maybe he's got king high. He's trying to move me off ace high. There's different things it could be. So I start talking to him. I tell him all his value is beating me. I tell him uh, that I think he's totally capable of triple barreling. Uh, and as I'm talking, I remember a hand he played about a half hour before where he made the nuts on the river. He made a four-card Broadway. For, there was four cards to Broadway on the board, and he had the, the extra card. And he bet small into uh, this old guy. And the old guy called, and he won. And I was like, this is not that dissimilar. The board is a pretty polarizing board at this point. Would he really, like, bet huge with a monster hand here? I don't know that he would, because isn't he trying to get called by the hand I have? Like, he's trying to get called by these little hands, right? If I had a big hand, he figures he's going get, to get it all anyway, probably. Like, I might have bet the river if I had a straight or better anyway, right? I probably would have shown up with that. So I just decided he just doesn't have value that much when he moves me in. And so I put my chips in and hoped I was good. And he said king high, and I got to double up. And it was a huge, huge pot for me. Cool. Yeah, it was a cool hand. And you made $8,000. 
And I got to make $8,000 too. That's pretty good. Yeah, I felt really nice. Yeah. One of the things uh, I, I talked to some of the coaching clients about is when you're playing up against guys like that, there's different things to do, but one of them, one of the things that I think is really effective is to let them try to outplay you, you know, like let them do all the stuff, let them do all the work and you can, you know, just do a lot of calling because they're going to put a lot of chips in when, as soon as you show an aggressive action, they often throw it away as I'm sure yeah. he was going to at any stage of the hand, right? He's got King high. He's going to probably, unless he had the King of spades, he's just going to throw it away. Yeah. But, What's he supposed to do on the river with king high where he might be able to move me off ace high or even one pair of hands? Like, I thought about folding. I just didn't. Good. I'm yeah. glad. So that's, that's like a cool story for me. Yeah. I, I have others, but that's like a pretty cool one. How about, how about for you? Tell us about what happened with you. Okay. I got a couple stories. So I think what I'm going to do is just going to kind of chronologically take you through my event. Great. And I have a couple stories for you. Sounds good. The one where I got fifth, not, not any other event where oh, I Oh, not the millionaire maker where you busted? Where I busted early on. <laughs> no, not that one. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> Um, so these 1500s are interesting and I got to say, I know we have, we have some older listeners out there, so this isn't meant as an insult, but, but the 1500 <laughs> that I played and Jonathan played as well, but the one I did well in, it's one that I'm going to have to play every year. Don't, don't, don't say that. Don't say it. No, let it go. Come I'll on. Let it go. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to give it away. I don't have to give it away. All right. I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> <laughs> you can blame Jonathan for not getting that information. Sorry, guys. I was just going to give you. Sorry. Yeah. Can't have everything. Okay. Not for free. I mean, they, maybe some of them can figure it out based on what I said. mean, really, you gave some context clues there. Yeah. If you want to do the work, then you've earned it. It's if a you fun don't, mystery now. Yeah. If you don't, then too bad. This is like one piece of information we're keeping to ourselves. Sorry. We, we share an incredible amount of information. We do. Like, it's okay not to share this, too. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So, let's talk about some stuff that happened. Yeah. All do right. It. So... This isn't a hand or anything, but so day one, some things that happened. Day one, late in day one, after dinner break, I get moved. I am seated at Men the Master's table. Oh, baby. You all know who Men the Master is, right? Well, if you don't know who Men the Master let me give you a little background on Men the Master. Okay. He's a well-known cheater. Yes. I have no idea why he's allowed to play the World Series of Poker. Correct. It's ridiculous. So what, what are some of the stuff he, things he does, John? Okay. So the most well-known thing is that he was caught having a large like briefcase suitcase something like that with chips from tournaments from poker tournaments all over the world like really big tournaments that they just like had him and his crew had smuggled out of the tournament so that way they could bring them in in big spots and things like right. that. right that is like crazy he's also known for do doing lots of other cheating kinds of things like uh, in cash games and things like that as well with like with other players at his table sort of colluding with them and things also like just that. taking chips off people's stacks during breaks stuff like that oh he did that too huh yeah I yeah. will say, I will share this quick story, which I know you've heard, Grant. At the Borgata, they were playing a 10K event. My friend Matt Matros was playing it. The power went out for a second. It got dark, entirely dark. Men was playing, but John Robert Balland was there too. And as soon as it got dark, he, John Robert, without a second's hesitation, says, new chip leader, men the master. <laughs> That's great. It's incredible. That's story. great. Anyway, I didn't see any evidence of cheating this time or anything, but... You I never would though, bro. <laughs> That's the thing. So I went to the table, and I already don't like this guy because I know... That he's a cheater. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like cheaters. It's not cool. Not cool. Right. Um, on top of that, he's super annoying. He's an annoying dude. And I'm. if anybody loves Men the Master or knows him, go ahead and tell him I think so. I don't care. <laughs> he's Good. crazy annoying. Uh, he he was started drinking after dinner break, and he started ordering two beers at once, and I think that certainly affected how annoying he was. But he would do stuff like there's this player, clearly an amateur, who's like having the time of his life because he's got a lot of chips in this World Series event. It might even be his first event. I yeah. don't know. 
He flops a set of eights against an under-the-gun player and raises, and then the under-the-gun player folds on an ace-high board, and he shows his eights. Because he's like, he's just having fun. He's a nice guy, whatever. He's not a poker player. And Men tells him that's a terrible play. And then for the next hour, hour and a half, he's like, I like you, but you, that play was terrible. It's the worst play I've ever seen. Like, he kept saying that to this guy who's just, like, trying to have a little fun, play a little poker. Like, men, shut shut up. First of all, let him make the bad play. Right. Second of all, don't be so mean. What is that? I mean, why would you ever ruin, like, a tourist's experience yeah. playing at the World Series of Poker? It's, like, so bad on so many. It's bad for the poker. It's bad for the WSOP. It's bad for your EV. Right. It's bad for everything. It's yeah. so dumb. Like you want you want a tourist to have a great time at the World Series of Poker, so they come back and play more if they're not very good, especially if they're making what you consider to be bad plays. Right. So yeah, it's hor. It's just such a dumb thing to do. Right. And then there was a thing where the dealer said, uh, "You're small, you're big." When when men was the big blind and the other guy, and they both hadn't put out their blinds. Right. And everybody's heard that a million times before, and yeah. everybody's heard the subsequent joke that men decided to make, which was, "Oh, he's small and I'm big. Oh, I like that. He's small and I'm big. That's great." And it's like, okay, fine, that's over. For those, then, for those of you who haven't seen men, he's not a tall man. No, he's not. But then he kept saying the same thing. Anybody new comes to the table, he's like, hey, guess what? A while ago, the dealer said, he's small, I'm big. I like that. Hour and a half. <laughs> Hour and a half of this happening at least once every three minutes. <laughs> I wanted to kill myself. Why, why not him? Why would you want to kill him? <laughs> I just wanted it to end in some way. It was horrible. Anyway, men the master, no good. Not a fan. <laughs> just going to yeah. say that. All right. Some more poker-related stories. Okay. So, um, after that, I got moved to a new table, which was great. Very happy to not be there anymore. Um, but I got a little bit short. I got down to 17K, and we were at 400, 800, so just over 20 blinds. I got moved like three different times to three new tables, didn't win a hand for a while. And I was starting to think, well, maybe I'm not going to make it. You know, Maybe I'm not going to make day two here. Yeah. And then I got moved to a new table. First hand, I sit down, 400, 800. I've never played at this table before. Guy opens to 5K. And I'm like, well, I, that can't be good no matter what it is. Yeah, I looked down at bad. two queens. I move in. He folds somehow for 17K when he opened to 5K. I just chipped up enormously. Yeah. Two hands later, he opens to 2K. He's like, I guess maybe 5K was a bad idea. Yeah. I move in now with, or no, I don't move in. I three bet to 6K with two aces. That's a good hand. He moves in with ace queen, which is not a good idea. For a lot more? For a lot more. My effective stack, which yeah. is now like too big to do that against, yeah. essentially, in this spot. And I get to double up there. And that gets me to day two. Yeah. Right? So I sit down at day two. New stuff's going to happen now. Um, we squeak into the money. It takes about an hour because there are about 22 players to the money. And it takes a lot longer in this event than the Millionaire Maker because this event was 1,700 players. The Millionaire Maker was, what, 7,200? 7,800, uh, 70, actually. Yeah. An so, insane amount of players. So, like, 255 players made the money in this event. And Millionaire Maker, what, over 1,000 made yeah, the like money? Yeah, like 1,158 or something. Right. So, we get into the money. And then Nacho Barbero gets moved to my left with 500K at 3K Big Blind. So wow, this is a bad situation. He's got 180. Nacho Barbero is a good player, and he's an aggressive player. 170. And it, yeah. it like really hamstrings me, you know. Sure. I the guy on my right's kind of a maniac, and I three bet light one time, cut off the button, and that time Nacho four bets me. So maybe there's something physical going on, or maybe it's just like this is a crappy spot. I'm next to Nacho Barbero, and I can't do stuff. He may just happen to have had it too. If he you, may if, have. You, if you know. He may Maybe. have. So I'm going to tell one double-up story that I have against cool. Nacho Barbero in which he was actually very upset with himself about the way he played the hand. Mm. So he opened under the gun. Um, I had, let's see, what did I have? I had like 18 big blinds, something like that. He opened under the gun, huge stack. I'm in the big blind. I have king, jack of hearts. I flat. I feel like that's the only decision you can make. 
Yeah. Do you have any disagreement with that, Jonathan? No, no, no. Against the under the gun razor, it, we, it's clearly a call. I think Nothing. it's a flat against almost any position at the table. Out of the big blind with 18 blinds and king jack of hearts. Um, I think you could move in against the button or the small blind. You can, especially the small blind. But that's probably it. Yeah. I think it's, it's, so, it's so cheap, and you get to close the action with a good right. hand that flops well. I think it's great to just call most of the time. I agree with you. All right. So anyway, I have king jack of hearts again. Flop queen, 10, 4, 2 hearts. That's a good flop. It's a really good flop. I'm hoping to check shove. Yeah. I don't get the opportunity because Nacho checks back. It's a hell of a check I'm like, back, damn honestly. it. Seriously, that's a hell of a check. Yeah. It's a good check back. Um, it's like he owned you on that check. Yeah, well, let's see what happens now, Levy. All right, so the turn is the ace of spades, bringing a second spade. So you have the nuts. I have the nuts. I still have the flush redraw. Yeah. It's a good spot. Yeah. I check again. I could bet here. I like checking. But I think Nacho's going to bet a lot whether or not he has an ace. I mean, right? he's usually going to have an ace, I would think, but when he doesn't, he's going to bet. If he has two sevens and decided to check once, this is like, well, I have to bet now. Like, right. I got to get this guy off the 10 that he may have or something, right? Because as, as people are playing these days, the flatting ranges of good players out of the big blind, even with 18 blinds, is really wide. You yeah. Can, you can flat really wide, so I don't have to have an ace. You have yeah. a very strong hand for your uh, range. Yeah, there. I do. I do. So he bets. He bets 6K into a pot of, I don't know. 10k. Yeah, I have about 36k. No, I have 28k. That's what I have. Say like 36k seems like yeah. a lot. I have 28k, and I, I'm I'm trying to think about how to play this optimally. It's you know, tough. it's a weird spot because if I call, the river's going to go check check a lot, a lot, right? And also, there's half the deck is going to be a heart or a spade, and while you like the heart, the spade is either going to be bad for you or kill action, so it's right. bad for you either way, right? Yeah. So you can't I think really wait. I try to think what would I do if I had a combo draw. Because Good. there are tons of combo draws on this board. Yeah. Right? It, I mean, there's like jack nine of spades, jack nine of clubs, jack eight of spades, jack eight of clubs, all of those types of hands. Good. Uh, so I move in. That's what you do if you had a combo draw, right? I move in, and Nacho starts talking to himself, and, say, and he says, like, God, I'm, I'm the worst. Why did I bet the turn? I should have never bet that turn. I told myself I was going to check the turn if an ace came, and I bet the turn I'm the worst. He's, like, saying this to himself. Good for him. I, I'm really impressed by Nacho. It's just even that. You know, yeah. that's Really cool. Right. So he's thinking that, but he knows there's a lot of combo draws that I can have. Of course there yeah. are. Yeah. And I, you know, it's a big check shove. So like I'm supposed to get, be able to get an ace to fold some of the time. Yeah. Which is why I did it. And he's, but he doesn't think I can have the nuts here. He's thinking I have queen 10 if I have value. Like I have two pair. Right. Queen 10 or ace 10. Right. Ace 10 makes sense. Yeah. Eventually he ends up calling. He has ace jack and the river does not come a king. So I get to double up through him. And he's super upset with himself. And he, he tells me it was a really good move because he thought if I had the nuts, I would just call. And right. I think that that kind of went through my head there. Like, I want to I rep, like, a weaker hand than I have, obviously, because I have the nuts. You need him to have a hand. Like, ace-jack is, like, the very bottom of his calling range. I know. So it's, that's the only problem with this spot is, like, there's so few hands he can actually call off with. Like, he needs to have the, uh, the ace-queens or the ace-jacks of the world. Not ace-queen, I'm sorry. Ace-king. Uh, ace-king, ace-jack. Like, those are the hands he really I know, but I have. just don't think I'm getting any more value on the river anyway. No, I, I agree. I agree. It's good. I think that's a really important piece to this hand that everyone needs to get better at. It's not like, like we talk about planning hands and stuff like that, planning you know, streets ahead and stuff like that, which is obviously really important. But part of that is not just planning what you would do, but like what, what, how is your opponent going to react? And if, they're, if you're at a position and you think they're going to check back a lot, then that just has to factor into your turn decisions. Yeah. Like you can't get more value on the river, so you have to get it now or take initiative. Or I guess you could donk a lot of rivers. That would be your other move, right? right? Yeah, and another yeah, like you said, another thing is scary scary cards could come on the river, and yeah. then donking's not going to work as often. Right. I mean, there's there's probably more than yeah, definitely more than half the deck. He's just going to fold to if you donk. The yeah. River, right. And maybe he's going to fold anyway. 
Even he maybe he can just fold yeah. ace jack anyway if you suddenly bet out because it's a weird line you're taking. Mm-hmm. Really, really weird line. I thought this was the best way to rep a draw. Yeah, I mean it's cool that it worked. It may. I mean if he had a slightly worse ace, it probably doesn't. Yeah, I just don't know if there's any other way to get value. I I don't know either. I mean with ace jack, he's sitting there. He's like, well, if this kid has ace ten, I've got jacks, I've got queens, I've got kings. So yeah. I've got actually a fair amount of outs, even if I am behind. Then if he has combo draws in his range too, I'm like a, a favorite, a good favorite against those hands. Right. Yeah. As opposed to he has three outs to chop, which yeah. is where you had him, which is unbelievable. Right. So that was a good spot. And he was very upset with himself after. He's like, I told myself I wasn't going to bet the turn. And then I bet the turn. And I told myself I wasn't going to call if he raised. But then he shoved. And then I called. <laughs> He's like so mad with himself. Well, I mean, the thing, and the th- maybe this is important too. Like, if you raise to a quote more normal sizing, you make it like 13K. But now you only have 15K behind anyway. It's like you're moving in, but it looks so much stronger. Yeah. Right. So I love this. I love that if you're going to raise, you really just ship it here. Because right. it's all the same, and it, it looks weaker. And even though it's more to call off, he's got a lot of chips. He can afford it. I like this play a yeah. lot. Thank you. So that was a big double up. Got me to nearly 40 blinds. And, you know, I just played some poker for a while then because, you know, these are long days of poker. Yeah. Getting near the end of the day. Uh, it's 4K, 8K now, and I have 240K. So I've been chipping along pretty well. It's been good. Nacho's still there. Um, the guy on my right who's a psycho is still there. And uh, I'm in the small blind in this hand, and this isn't a very exciting hand. Well, it's not a very pokery exciting hand, but it was exciting for me because there's an under the gun open. This crazy guy in my right, three bets, pretty big, and I look down at two kings. Yeah. And I'm just like, I really hope he doesn't have aces. I'm all in. (laughs) And he calls and he has queens, and I double up, and all of a sudden, I'm one of the big stacks in the tournament. Yeah. It's amazing. It's great. So I get retabled. I move to a new table. And this is getting near the end of day two now, and I'm one of the chip leaders in the tournament. And I'm feeling pretty good, Mm -hmm. you know. And then an aggressive player opens. I'm in the small blind with deuces. I call. The big blind, more of a recreational player, calls as well. Flop is deuce, nine, ten, rainbow. It's pretty good. And, like, how many people are left in this event at this point, you think? 28. Yeah, okay. So we're getting down to it. Yeah, 28 players left. Yeah, okay. I have about 630K, something like that. I lead for 40K. What do you think about that, Jonathan? Um, I like it because it's you're, we're three-handed, right? Yeah. And usually when people lead... I mean, good players are supposed to lead strong hands, for sure. But usually when people lead, if they don't know who you are, especially, don't know that you're a good player, yeah. Like you're usually going to fold to a raise. And uh, also, this is exactly the kind of board that people are going to check through all the time. Yeah. And so, like... And then when you bet the turn... I don't know. I think leading is great. On this kind of a board, with your hand, where you're not blocking very much of the stuff they can have, like Ace-10... All that, you know, over pairs, right. all this stuff. I love leading here. So I think that's pretty sweet. That's what I did. Yeah. The guy on my left, the big blind, moves in for 230K. That's a big move in. Yeah. I bet 40K. Yeah. That's a huge move in. Mm-hmm. It's like a 6X move in. Uh, then the other guy who has like 500K to start the hand. I had 630 to start the hand. This is a big moment here. He tanks for a long time. And I'm thinking, what? I mean, I'm can't fold bottom set here but that guy for sure has sets of nines and tens in his range if he moves in this yeah. is kind of a terrible spot if this guy moves in right yeah like i don't think i can fold you're gonna have to consider uh, it. but i'm gonna have to really consider you it only put 40k in i mean you have to consider folding. i really do because this guy's moved in and he's he does very rarely has sets of nines or tens the the guy who moved in but the guy right. who was the initial opener and hasn't acted on this flop yet could very easily have those hands and if he moves in i have to just put him on an over pair that 
decides that I'm leading with a draw and the other guy is moving in with a 10 or something. Right. The over pair has to, yeah, the over has to be like, I'm just stuck to these aces and yeah. the kid doesn't have to have anything. And the guy who moved in never has a big hand. Right? right. Like he just never has, like he's got one pair. He's sort of capped at one pair. You would think most of the time. Yeah. Um, that could happen though. And that's probably why you're probably gonna end up calling with deuces. There. I was probably going to have to end up calling in the end. He folded. So I didn't have that decision. I snap called. Of course. The move you're, in. you're like always ahead. The guy had queen jack for the open ender. So I had like great equity because I have redraws. You're like, he's like, you're like 74% or something like yeah. that. It's amazing. But then the turn's a king. So your and equity then, goes down. Then brick. And so <laughs> I would have been the chip leader in the tournament had I yeah. won that pot. But instead, I'm down to 400K, yeah, which that was, was a bit of a bummer. Really too bad. So it got to day two with 433K. The blinds were 6K, 12K. So fine, you know. Not doing too bad. You mean day three? Right? Day three, excuse yeah. me, yeah. Bagged, went to day three, 433K, 6K, 12K. Had a couple chip-up spots. Essentially doubled up without a showdown, Yeah, which was I great. I remember that. that which was, was cool. great. Then we got down to two tables, and I got aces under the gun. I had 44 blinds, and I opened my aces. Good. I, I raised them. Yeah. I think that was probably the right play. I like it. Yeah. The big stack in the tournament is in the small blind, and he three-bet. Uh, he three bet to like seven blinds. I had opened to 2.2 blinds or whatever. And I decided his range is super strong here, right? So let's just get in my 44 blinds if I can. Yeah. You could uh, definitely, cons- I think flatting is not terrible, but I agree not. his range is pretty strong. There. Like, I don't think he has any three bet folds there when I open under the gun. I mean, he's, he's at least going to call. I mean, depending on how everything gets sized, he's going to at least call. Right. right. So I four bet to like 20 blinds. That's like half your stack. Yeah, essentially half my stack. So now it's not an automatic call for a lot of hands. No, think, it's not. Because like he can't set mine profitably with anything. He moves in as fast as can possibly well, be. Oh, that makes it easy. I was pretty it? happy. I was <laughs> like, I, I call. Yeah. And uh, he had ace-king. And he was actually being coached by Chance Cornuth, who's a very good player. Yeah. And he told me after the next break that Chance told him that was awful. Yeah. And I kind of agree. It was that's You're really not supposed to do that against the under-the-gun razor for 44 blinds. Right. It's just like... Anything the under-the-gun raisers getting in for 44 blinds, you're hoping to chop with because you are... I mean, it's queens plus, maybe jacks. Yeah. Maybe it's jacks. But it's jacks plus an ace-king. That's You're doing terrible against that range, right? You're right. flipping or crushed against that range or yeah. chopping. That's it. It's not good. So that was a little run good, and I got to be the chip leader of the tournament for, for a brief period of time. Little little uh, tidbit, which I don't know if you know this, uh, I started freaking out on the sidelines when that when I found it. When oh, I you told you me the about this, leader. but yeah, yeah, say why. I was Well, just because... Up until that point, you were having a nice run in a World Series event. And then with 18 players left or whatever it was, I think it was 18. We're down to two tables. Uh, you had that double up and you were the chip leader. And I suddenly realized you really could win. Like, yeah. not like you didn't, not, not about, it's not a skill thing, but like, you know, it's so hard to win these things. And of there's course. so much luck. But suddenly you were the chip leader with 18 left. And it like, it changed the way I felt about the event. Instead of like, you know, like, this is hard. There's, there's a lot of good players left. You know, 10th place would be amazing. Obviously, you know, you have a chance to win. Of course, you're really good, so on and so forth. You've got some chips. But now it's like, oh, you're the chip leader with two tables? Yeah. You, you're not an idiot. Like, you can really win now. Like, it became a very realistic possibility. And, it, and I started to freak out a little bit. Because I was like, <laughs> this would be, a, like, so much money. I did have a little piece of you, which was nice for me. Um, also, you know, like, good for the poker guys. Good for all the people who, like, like you guys, what results do you even have? All right. that kind of stuff. It's just like I saw it all like unfold in front of me and I started to freak out. And then I like got it together, but I started yeah. to freak out. <laughs> you also freaked out a little bit. Not exactly freaked out, but we're disappointed because I get it quietly when I win. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, very quietly. Like I'm not, I'm not a celebrator. 
So Jonathan on the sidelines thought I lost the hand. All he could see was that I was all in, and then I, I like I wasn't smiling or anything. I was just like, because I, I, I try not to do that. I'm just like, yeah, and, you know that hand sucks for you, buddy. Sorry that you had Ace King. Yeah, you know, Grant like, had the as soon as they have, I couldn't see anything. I thought it was actually on the river when the play happened. That's how sort of far away I was from it. I could just see that. I thought actually Grant had moved in. The guy said call even. That's what I thought. And then Grant made it the face, which is like the sort of like annoyed face. But what it really was was Grant was doing the oh I see you have Ace King when I have Aces. That sort of sucks for you. Yeah. Oh, that's like that's like that's unlucky. You're doing the fake. That's unlucky face, right? Right. Like the fake sympathy face. But I took that as something else. So I was like shh shoot grant is like he's gonna be super short now oh that sucks and then i found out you were the chip leader that also added to it that was right. great um that guy eventually got second place and i thought yeah. he played pretty well mm-hmm. he ran really hot at the final table he knocked out the first four players at the final table that was good for which you was and great people, you just, and people who had percentages of you were pretty happy about just that. laddering up just <laughs> laddering on up you and people had percentages. you made some money on that right so things went pretty normal uh, actually i had another interesting hand against that guy before the final table which mm-hmm. i think i lost the minimum yeah, let's talk about this one. I maybe could have folded the river, but I think that would have been absurd. Mm-hmm. So under the gun, min opens. I am the chip leader here. And this guy who still has a ton of chips flats the button. Um, I'm in the big blind with 4-5 offsuit. And it's a pretty clear defend to me. Yeah. Because just such good odds and we're deep. And, you know, this, it's just a defending hand. This just happens, right? So the flop is 3-7. Uh, no. Three, six, eight. Mm-hmm. So I flop open-ended. What's his position again? Who? The, the opener. The opener under the gun. Okay. And then there's a flat, and then I'm in the big blind. Good. Three, six, eight. It checks through. The turn is a seven. So I turn the third nuts. Yeah. Uh, it's but, pretty good. But pretty much nobody has five, nine ever. Right. So it's really the second nuts. You're the only guy who can have five, nine. Right. Um, so I bet. Mm-hmm. And the initial opener folds which was very sad because I was hoping maybe he... But he's going to bet an overpair, so it's probably fine. Yeah. Then the button raises, and my range is completely uncapped here. I could have 9-10 very easily, right? For sure you can have the nuts. So what's he So doing this raising? is a bit of a scary spot. Yeah. I mean, I could move in because his effective stack now... He, I made it something like 75. I think I made it 75, and he made it 185. And his effective stack before he made it 185 was something like 700. Okay. And I had 1.7 million. Yeah, you could move. I in. could move in, but I don't see any value there. You know, it's rare that he has a set. Here's here's the only value I can think of. He has a set, and a fourth card to a straight comes in. It's hard to get value on the river. That's it. That's right. the only value. Besides that, like he it's essentially fine. has to have a turn to set, though, right? Yeah, a set of sevens. Um, yeah, because he checked back the flop. Yeah, so it's exactly a set of sevens. Right, but he could have that. That's not crazy, and he might raise it. I don't know. That's so I'm not- kind of down to like he has an open ender. That he's turning into a semi-bluff. Right. He has a random bluff. He doesn't believe me. I'm just playing my range because this board's supposed to be good for my range. Or he has a better straight than me or 4-5 suited, which is really unlikely based on my hand. Or a set. There's only two combos of 4-5 suited left. Right. Right. So I'm concerned. Yeah. I just call. I think that's great. I think overall against that range, calling makes the most sense. But... It's going to bring up some weird river spots where, like, what if a brick comes off on the river? Your plan is to just call, right? Yes, absolutely. Because, because he can have 9-10. He can very easily have 9-10. He's not necessarily betting a gut shot with two overs on the flop. This is where it sucks to be out of position, though, because, like, if you check and he just checks it back, you're like, uh, you know. Well, he's like, I like, still get to win a reasonably big pot in a scary spot, so no, it's not no, that's so bad. True. That's true, but, like, if you're in position, which there's nothing you can do about it in this hand, but if you are, this just is the value of it. It's the spots like this where if he had check-raised you and you called and then he checks the river, you get to make sure a value bet goes in. 
Yeah. You know, that's the only, that's, it's a big difference. Anyway, he raised, I called. Yeah. The river was another seven pairing the board. Yeah. So now we're losing all the sets too. I'm mostly worried about seven, eight. If I'm going to be losing to a full house now, mm-hmm. I don't think it's too many sets. I mean, I think, it's, yeah, it's one, one combo of sevens or seven, eight. Mostly. Yeah. yeah. Right. So he either already had me most of the time or he turned an open, most likely turned an open ender into a bluff, something like ace nine suited, uh-huh. something like that. I check. He bets 230K. And I'm just thinking, like, I don't know if I can possibly fold this hand, but I really feel like he has 9-10 here. Yeah. I really feel like it. Do you think I can fold there? I mean, the board is cooperating a little bit to give you a few more outs to fold. You know what I mean? A few more reasons to fold because I have the board such a paired. good hand. <laughs> you have such a crazy hand. And do you know enough about this guy to know that he's, like, it, w- it would be kind of an absurd fold. He's right? been a very active player. I have, he hasn't shown down any audacious bluffs or anything, but he's very active. He also might just be losing his mind. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know either. It seems like, it seems like crazy to fold. You can also afford to call. It isn't like it's going to cost you your tournament. To right. Me. I think you have to call. I ended up calling. He did end up having 9-10. Yeah. So I felt good about not three-betting the turn. I just wonder if I can fold the river there. I don't know. I mean, certainly if the board doesn't pair, I don't think you can fold the river. I think that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, even with the board pairing, and he bets so small, you're getting a crazy good price. Now, there's a reason why you're getting a crazy good yeah. price, right? One of them, actually, there's two reasons. One of them is that he's trying to get value out of worse hands, and number two is he's a little afraid of the full house himself, right? Yes, he is. For sure, I have full houses in my range there. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's close. Actually, and this is the thing of position again. If he's out of position, he may check this river, and you can check it back and save right. money. But again, nothing you can do about Interesting that. Interesting thought experiment. What if I move in? Um... What does he do? Like, that's a crazy spot for he him. He only has 480 left. It's going to yeah. be really close. It depends on what kind of guy he is. Right, know? but this is like a huge... It might be the biggest spot of his life. Right. He, you know? If it's the biggest spot of his life, he's probably going to fold. Like, you know? What do I... I'm not moving in with 4-5. I'm not check-shoving 4-5. You no, would think. You would think. I mean, it would have to be quite above the rim of you to move in here trying to get him off a better straight. Yeah. Because he can have the full houses. I know. And you don't block any of it. Right. So, so I don't think it would be, crazy. it's not a good play, but I'm just wondering from his perspective, like, yeah. should he call in a spot like that? Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a really tough spot, right? Yeah. If he, maybe if you had like seven, nine, you could do it. So you're like blocking nine, 10 a little bit and you're blocking trip sevens a little bit. Something I guess. like that, but that's it. Cause then you can't have, um, you can't have a set of sevens either on the turn that way. Something, something like that's all I can think of. Seven, nine's a hand you might have here, right? Yeah. Uh, that's it. It's a tough spot. Yeah, I don't think this is the hand we're supposed to be moving in with. I think we need to have blockers to move in. Right, I agree, but I'm just wondering from his perspective. I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, he's got one of the very best hands he can ever show up with. He's getting a tremendous price, but what are you doing this with? I, he, I have to be a terrible player. Right. You know, in order to move in with or, a worse hand for or value. Or have a lot of bluffs. But you could be moving in with worse hands for bluffs. Yeah, for bluffs like, only, Like, though. players do that now. Like, they didn't used to do that. They do it more now. So, I don't know how, how clued in he is to all that or not. Right. You know? He's getting coached by Chance Corneth, so. Yeah. Relatively clued in. Yeah. Interesting spot. All right. I want to talk about a hand I played in the Millionaire Maker, which I did talk about on the vlog, but I want to talk to you about it from a strategic point of view and see okay. what you think about it. Um, so, I want to talk it out a little bit, okay? So, here's the deal. Uh, we're late in day two. I'm in middle position. I've got like 180,000. And the blinds are, I'm almost certain, 1-2, 1,000, 2,000. I'm like 95% sure that's right. Um, I open to 4,400. It folds to the big blind, who is just three bets a lot. He's just a guy who three bets a lot. I don't necessarily think he's a good player, but he three bets a lot. 
So he three bets to 12,000, I think 800, right? And in the old days, I would just fold. Oh, I had ace-eight of diamonds, by the way. I guess that's important to know. Um, in the old days, I used to just fold this hand in this spot. I'm dominated a lot. Like, what am I hoping for? Blah, blah, blah. But things have changed, and I don't really fold so much to three bets anymore, especially when I'm in position, closing the action, getting a good price. And, you know, I did the math. I was getting way better than two to one. I was closing the action. We're, we're still deep, too. He had a lot less chips than me. His effective stack was, I can tell you, it's like 110K. So, like, there's a lot to win here. You know, there's 55 blinds behind. So I just feel like I'm supposed to call, even though it could be, like, spewy. So that's question number one. Do you think it's even spewy to call there? No, it's fine. Okay, great. Let's move on. Let's see if you think the rest of it's spewy. Uh, so the flop is, well, I was going to say it's interesting. It's really not. It's jack nine five, I believe. Jack nine four, one diamond. So we flop two back doors and nothing else. And he bets 9,600. And I'm sitting there. I'm thinking to myself, that's a pretty weak bet. Now, I know like good players will bet less, will do these weak bets when they have it, when they don't, right? But I didn't think this guy was good enough to do that. So I thought he's pretty weak a lot here, right? But I didn't want to get all crazy spewing and just raise here either with, with my hand that actually has some value and I'm in position. So I decided I should just call and with the plans of folding to turn bets unless I improve significantly or, um, and betting if he checks, which I was hoping was going to happen. I thought it was going to happen a lot based on his sizing. Thoughts? Good. Okay. As I was putting the chips in, I thought, I mean, I might just be lighting these chips on fire when I don't have to. Like, this could be really dumb, but whatever. We're playing poker here, you know? Okay. The turn, so it was, it was jack nine. I think I said four, but it was jack nine five. I remember this a little bit more clearly now because the turn was a six, giving me a gut shot. Uh, he checks. And I was like, well, that's just dandy, isn't it? I'm like, well, clearly, I don't care that I have a gut shot. It's not enough to check back with a gut shot here. Like, the pot's way too big. I got to threaten this guy's life a little bit and try and win this pot right now with my ace high, which is almost certainly the worst hand, right? Yes. So I bet 20,500. So I bet 10 blinds at this pot, right? This pot, which has, it's about half pot, I would say. Maybe slightly less. But it's enough that, like, He's going to have to fold ace-king, right? Like, what's he going to do with ace-king? Yeah. He can't call. So I bet 20500 really hoping he's not going to check-raise. If he does, I'm up. If he shows an aggressive action, I'm just folding instantly, obviously, right? He thinks for, like, three minutes and puts out the call. All right. Okay. I'm already thinking to myself, I'm just going to have to move in a minute on a lot of rivers, I think. Yeah, I think so. Like, he's got, you know, 80000 left. The pot is like 85, 90K. I'm just going to have to move. He's got like two tens a lot, I think. I was thinking two tens is a strong, strong possibility. Right. So I was looking for like, also by the way, I'm saying I'm really like a seven would be great right about now, poker gods. You know, we can just make our gut shot. He'll never see it coming. Sure. Like that would be awesome if you could do that for me. The poker gods did not comply. They wanted to make it a little harder. And they brought an offsuit queen. All right. That should scare him unless he has queen jack, which he never does. He never has queen jack. Yeah. I mean... Essentially, never. Right. right. Um, you can you can have queen jack. I am the guy who has queen jack. If anyone is, yeah. I have queen jack suited for sure. Right, and he doesn't. Um, he checks. That's good. Neither of us really have ace. Well, he never has ace queen. I shouldn't say we. I I in theory could have anything, but he never has ace queen. Right. So that's good. So he checks, and I sit there for a little bit, and I think, yep, I'm gonna pull the trigger on this card. This feels like a reasonable card to pull the trigger on. I'm following through with the plan. So I move him. I move him in, and then the waiting. And there's a lot of waiting. So before I tell the audience, although if you watch the vlog, you know what happens. Uh, what happened? What do you think? You think we just have to move in here? 
I think you played it in a very high variance way, but I think it's probably correct, especially considering that everybody's going to be playing a little bit scared at this point, right? That was part of it. Yeah, yeah I think he's going to fold over pair some of the time here. I mean, what's what's an overpair really beating that I'm moving in with that right. I called the flop at the turn move in on the river? Except complete air, there's nothing else. You're mostly repping a set or queen jack here. Right. That's the majority of what you're saying you I have. Think you could have right. eight, ten, I guess. I could actually have um, two aces also. Okay. Maybe two kings. Also, eight, are... eight, ten suited, right? You could have that. Eight, ten suited, yes. I can have eight, ten suited exactly, for sure. Yeah. I would play eight, ten suited exactly like this, right? Right. So but you're repping a decent amount of things. My, my, yeah, my value is all pretty strong. Like, yeah. even aces are definitely good here, right? Almost always. Like, I'd feel very comfortable moving right. in with Unless aces Unless he was here. doing a big act on the turn. Right. Yeah. But I would just, I just move him in. Yeah. Like, I ho- oh, I hope, he, I hope he somehow hit that queen. I don't know how. Or I hope he's just going to get stubborn. With his, his kings, hand. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but if I decided to play aces like this pre, I would think it's time to get the, it's time to make sure I get real value for these. Like he's got less than a pot size bet left. I'm moving him in. Like, sure. I hope he calls. Um, and I don't have much air here. Like, I mean, the only things I'd be moving in with that are weak are like complete air. And it's hard to come up with anything except the kind of hand I have. Right. Right. So that seems like kind of good. Like I'm really weighted uh, while I'm polarized. I'm really weighted towards value. Yeah. So, so that's a good reason to move in. <laughs> so anyway, he thought for seven minutes. Or so, no one long time. The, no one called the clock because it was clearly such a big decision. And he finally, finally kicked. I, I was pretty sure he was going to fold because I was like, he just has two tens, right? Yeah, he just has to fold two tens, especially this queen. Even though it doesn't make a lot of sense, that, like why the queen would improve my range. I guess I can have queens exactly too. Um, he just has to fold two tens. Anyway, he finally kicks it in, and uh, and it was like you have nines, right? You have a set of nines, and I was like, you know. You know, it's possible. Good, good fault. I don't know. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never tell you what I had. Uh, and we, Grant and I, talking about it later, decided uh, the hand that makes the most sense for him is probably king-queen, actually, right? Where he flops overs in the gutter. Yeah. Check calls the turn with a bunch of outs. Hits one of his outs, but it's not, a, it's not the one he most wants. Not a good and, out. Yeah. And, like, now what's he going to do? Right. Yeah. Moments like that. I think I've had kind of a sea change in my my general thought over the past two years. Not my thought, but... My ability to control my emotions, I suppose, in spots like that where yeah. I'm bluffing, where it used to be I was actively trying to calm myself down while they were tanking. I was like, okay, how do I act as calm as possible? Something shifted in me within the past two years or so where yeah. I've already made my decision. I'm just comfortable as hell. Like, yeah. no matter what the spot, I already did the bluff. I'm just like, okay. Right. Whatever happens, happens. That's the mostly chips, how I The felt. chips are already in there. I mean, I, I pulled a triple barrel bluff on day one, kind of early-ish on day one of the Millionaire Maker 2. And uh, it was the same kind of a thing where I just had to wait for minutes. And yeah, it's like, you know, you sort of, go, for me anyway, I went through, I just go through all the possibilities. Like, well, I hope he folds. Yeah. He really might not. He's clearly thinking about calling. I don't think there's anything I can do about it now. So I'm just going to wait and find out what happens. And Honestly, when they take a long time, they usually find a fold. Yeah. Like, they call quickly when they call, and once in a while, they call slowly. But mostly, they find a fold when they take a long time. They, they're, like, talking themselves into folding right. is what usually happens. And I think that's what happened in both these spots. So, I felt, like, pretty comfortable. And the other thing was, I, I'm okay with these plays not working, which I think in the old days, maybe I was Right. You, you go for it, you know? It's like, You're I You're going to be in this spot again. You know, right. it's fine. I understand why I did it, and I think it's important to have this gear. Like, I have to be able to triple barrel and float the flop sometimes after calling a three bet with, with a hand like this. Like, if I'm going to call the, the three bet with ace-eight suited, and I decide to call the flop, for crying out loud, I have to try and win this pot, whether, you know, I have to make a play at this pot, and it's got to be a big play. Sure. So, I don't know. I, so, I felt pretty good about the plan, and I'm just glad it worked both times. Yeah, that's cool. Because they don't always work. Anyway... 
Those some stories. Yeah. Just to wrap up, I'm going to say. Let's do it. Got to the final table of yeah, that event. And, uh, it's better than me. The, the guy who ended up getting second knocked out four players right in a row, which was great. It was amazing. I was I was completely carded at the final table, but whatever. I was laddering up. It was fine. A lot of money was Eventually, earned. I got down to 17 blinds. The eventual winner of the event, Christopher Frank, 22-year-old German wizard, opens, and I have two threes in the big blind, and I'm all in. He calls with ace-king. River's an ace. Yeah. The bastard. But he ended up winning the event. He's a good, good player. You yeah, know. sure. Good for him. I won 91K. It was a good day. Yeah, I mean, the final table, when you got to the final table, I think you had won like 30-something, right? Uh, 23 when we went to the 10-handed final table. Okay, 23. And then like it wasn't that long before you were up to 90, and you hadn't really done anything. Yeah, it was great. You know, you like won a, you'd won a few smallish pots, really, right. you know, but you didn't want any big pots. You hadn't had a double through. Nothing. Ha- you mostly just stayed out of the way and won a few pots here and there, and that was it. And like... Big Stack just was knocking people out. And that right. Was, that was I also great. got a horrific tra- table draw. It was me. Then to my left was Pratush Bodiga, oh, one of the best that. players in the world. Yeah, Pratush. Great with a big stack. And then Christopher Frank, the eventual winner, who's a good player. Like that, that was my left. So that yeah. was not ideal. But I'm very happy with the result. It was cool. It was awesome. All anyway, right. this was not a breakdown. But if you want to hear all of the Poker Guys breakdowns that have ever been created... You can listen to a lot of them on SoundCloud and on iTunes right now, but you can also listen to all of the historic records of them back to ancient Greek times. Yeah, because well, we have a lot. We have a lot. Uh, it's How many podcasts is it? It's like a, a buttload. 137, I think. It was, yeah, that's right. There's 137 podcasts available for purchase on Selfy.com, S-E-L-L-F-Y, slash the poker guys. Yep. And you can check out. We have other packages if you don't want to buy all of them together. You can buy together. Like 10 podcasts. Yeah, like we have Grant's s- favorite. We have Jonathan's yeah. favorite. We have the top five best hands of all time that we've ever done. It's cool. You know, fun little packages you can buy on there. So get on Selfie. Get that. You know, we yeah. also sell T-shirts. Oh, my gosh. Go to Amazon.com. We have yeah. T-shirts. We have the uh, Game Theory Disaster T-shirt. Right. We have uh, Poker Guys plus Aces equals Dollars T-shirt. Yeah, we have You Are the Garbage Human with Uncle Sam. I mean, come on. Yeah. Got to get that go one. Go buy one of each. You know, get on there. Let's do this. All, all right. right. We're done.